next 60 minutes, breaking down all that is happening with respect to the New York Giants. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. Our main question for today's show, John and I yesterday focused on offenses that are likely going to turn things around from 2017 to 2018. What we're going to focus on today is teams that had the most productive off-seasons. And this is based on an article on NFL.com that Gil Brandt wrote. And the Giants are listed as number one on his list of what he did the top seven he focused on. So we'll get into that. We'll get your feedback on that article as well as anything else you want to delve into. Monday will be another OTA with media session, so we'll certainly have a lot more to talk about next week, but everything well up for the discussion today. And and let's start with this article, Paul. What Gill focuses on is not just player acquisitions. He also looks at the arrival of Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer mm-hmm. as another facet as to why he thinks the Giants had a productive offseason. Well, I think when you ask the question, who did the best in terms of the offseason acquisitions, it's fair to say that the coach, the GM, the college scouting director, whoever it is, uh, is part of that equation. I mean, they are. Are they not living, breathing people in the organization? So uh, we have seen many times over the years where teams maybe thought that they were going to go with the bulk of their personnel and just decided to change a coach. So why shouldn't that be part of it? Uh, I'm on board with that. And when you consider uh, what the Giants have done, you have to say that they're certainly among the top, if not the number one. If you want to argue against it and you want to say the Cleveland Browns with two picks in the first four and then having as high a pick in every round subsequent to that, I'm not going to scream at you. I mean, they got a new GM too, okay? So I can't scream if you tell me that the Browns were number one and the Giants were number two. I don't know that I could put the Giants lower than two, though. I'd be, I'd be hard-pressed to do that. Well, of all the seven teams that he listed, and let's just go through them real quickly. Baltimore, seven. Tampa Bay, six. Chicago's five. The Rams are four. Vikings, three. Browns, two. And then the Giants are one. I think the Giants certainly are in the top five. I mean, I don't think it would be a crime if you put them maybe three or four because I'm very high. I like Chicago's offseason. I really like what the Bears did, Paul. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that this is going to translate to the field, but I just like some of the players they brought in. They added the coach, too. Correct. They also made some changes. But the reason I like the players is, you know how some off-seasons teams are attractive because they added big names? The Bears, to me, didn't add big names. Mm -hmm. They just added what I think is talent upgrades and players that I think are going to contribute in multiple areas. For example, a guy like Trey Burden, the backup tight end for the Eagles behind Zach Ertz, I think he's a solid addition. He's not a wow-me guy. He's not a pro bowler, but you know what? He's going to help your special teams, and he could very well take on a bigger role on offense. Those are the types of players that help teams much more so than, you know, who's the sexy free agent that everybody went on a spending spree over. I think the problem with picking the Bears, and again, now we're going a little deeper into the question, a lot of what happens to them this year will be relying on the shoulders of Trubisky, the quarterback. And so no matter how many quality players that they've added to the equation, if Trubisky has a poor year, it won't matter. You know, they, well, but they he needs talent, you figure, to help improve he does. his numbers. So I think the question becomes, uh, when you say who had the best offseason, um, maybe if you simply isolate it to just the acquisitions, which I guess is the point of the question, yes, I understand that. But if you're going to say who will dramatically improve because of their offseason acquisitions, now the question becomes a little bit different. That's fair. Because Trubisky could certainly stunt the improvement that the Bears have, no matter how many good guys they brought in. No, and I think that Gill operated under just on the surface who had a productive offseason right. as opposed to who had a productive offseason and then on top of that, who is then going to have that translate into perhaps more wins. So I took it a little bit further to your point with the Chicago Bears. If you just go on paper, I still think the Bears are in the conversation because of what you said, new head coach and some appealing players. The Giants, you know, they get the check marks in terms of players as well as additions to the coaching staff in the front office. And by the way, speaking of the players, he's very high on the acquisition of Alec Ogletree. He actually says that he could be the most impactful linebacker for the Giants since Antonio Pierce. 
I don't think that's a reach. No, not at all. But that's John what Beeson his selling was supposed point is. to be, but he was hurt. He was hurt. So I, I don't think you necessarily include him in that conversation. He likes Nate Solder and Will Hernandez. So he's certainly high on that. And then interestingly, he says, Gettleman has apparently been able to press the right buttons with Odell Beckham and Eli Apple, according to Gill's perspective. Now, Those would not be additions. No, but once again, this is just uh, when, when I guess you say who has the best offseason, though, Paul, part of that is who's also existed here previously and what you're doing to perhaps help them improve or provide stability for the organization. So I don't think it's necessarily just new additions. The way, once again, that Gil framed it is it was seven best offseasons of 2018. Part of having a good offseason, Paul, is what you do with also the carryover the players that are remaining on the roster, and even the coaches and members of the front office. So I think all of that is incorporated, and that's what he's bringing up with respect to the Giants. I'll tell you what, when you talk about, in a generic sense, improving during the offseason, just the climate around this building is dramatically better than what it was at the end of last season, Lance. I mean, no disrespect to any of those folks who are no longer here, but there was a sense of defeat uh, as this season wore down in December, you know, this team wound up with three victories, the, the lowest total in franchise history. If you couldn't taste that, if you couldn't feel that, then you weren't paying attention because it was heavy. And what do we have this spring? Blooming flowers, growing grass, yes. bright sunshine, a tremendous difference just in the atmosphere of the building. So if that's to be taken as part of a good off season, then uh, more power to the Giants. Was the blooming flowers comment a, a pun that was intended, or, or that is uh, a pun that was not intended? I, I'm just curious. I'm not trying to stir the pot. I'm just wondering maybe what you were insinuating with that commentary. I think it's incredibly admirable that you would have caught that. Well, I try to pick up on your comparisons here. That I'm just because usually, that... usually you're attentive to my food analogy. Well, that's one. I'm a little disappointed you didn't go there. You went with more of the season and spring and, and blossoming. So when I heard flowers. Hours, my ears perked up. Okay. So I, I just wanted some clarification. Good for you. Okay, I, I'll I pat myself you. on the back. I'll pat myself on the back because you know Charlie may have heard that, and all of a sudden he's flying around the room wherever he is right now, debating whether or not he wants to call in on that subject. So that's another reason why I had to bring that to the forefront. Real quickly before we open up the phone line, some other teams that I think are just worthy of touching on in comparison to the Giants. You brought up Cleveland. Cleveland, obviously, because of what they did in the draft, a lot of volume, and some no of the question. free agents they brought in. You know the car. Carlos Hyde's of the world, acquiring Jarvis Landry in a trade mm-hmm. and the arrival of John Dorsey. Minnesota is number three on Gill's list, and Kirk Cousins is certainly number one. But, you know, people forget, they also brought in Sheldon Richardson, Paul. It's a good pickup. And they already have a very strong yeah. defense to begin with. Yeah, there's no question. I, I think that, you know, when you look at the Vikings, and most people believe that, you know, they were pass away from going to the Super Bowl, so why shouldn't they be a top contender this year? Well, you know what? I think part of the intangibles that we need to grade the Vikings on, and we're not going to know until they start playing games this season, is how much did that take out of them? How much did that hurt them? You know, they lose Pat Shermer. All right. Keenum is gone, and, you know, for whatever you think about his talent compared to Kirk Cousins, who clearly has put up better stats than Keenum, Keenum was the guy who drove that truck in the postseason for them. Is that a is that a chemistry issue? Do they do they need time to get used to Cousins? Does Cousins do a lot of the same things that Keenum did in that locker room and in that huddle and plays on the field? Are they going to be similar? I think I think it's not a slam dunk that the Vikings are going to be the NFC champ NFC East, uh, no, NFC uh, champions in this league. I don't think anything's a slam dunk. So a I, lot I of folks want to give there. it to them. They just want to give it to the Eagles or Vikings, and they're saying, okay, these two teams, that's it. They're going to be in the NFC Championship game again. I'm not so sure. Well, I think those teams deserve to be front runners, though. I don't think that's they're crazy, contenders. Paul. They're contenders, but, but I don't know that they're locks. Well, but when you look at the fact that the I mean, nucleus, they just changed out the quarterback. That's a big deal. They did. Shermer's a big deal. They did, but here's where I would counter with respect to it. You brought up an interesting point about – the quarterback's the leader of the team, and guys obviously bought into what Case Keenum was selling, People weren't they? People say that's the most important position. Okay, so if you now take him out of the equation, okay, how does that impact the chemistry, the overall camaraderie of the offense? I think that's a fair question. However, with that being said, they're bringing in a new offensive coordinator. 
Remember, John D. Filippo from the Eagles came right. over to be the Vikings OC. So he's now going to be selling them on a completely new offensive philosophy. It doesn't mean he's going to abandon everything Shermer ran, but he's going to get in that room and he's going to be like, all right, guys, hey, this is how we're now running my scheme. Kirk Cousins is now our quarterback. I think there's a lot of new facets to that offense, Paul, where I don't know if guys like Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen are saying to themselves, man, we got to feel bad for ourselves because we don't have Keenum and Shermer around anymore. I thought, and I could be wrong because I don't live in Minnesota, but I really thought that a lot of people thought Minnesota had the it factor. The karma was going their way. And as they were going through the playoffs, I thought a lot of people, especially because of the home field advantage that they would have had in the Super Bowl. New stadium. There were so many folks who thought they were destined to go. And then when it got derailed, psychologically, that is a painful, painful blow. And I just don't know how they're going to recover from that. I really don't. Look, I've been around teams. Giants teams and, and, and even other teams in other sports. I know I've covered hockey and the NBA and the NHL and where teams get close and sometimes, okay, they knock on the door, then they kick it in the next year. There are other times they go in the other direction oh, because yeah. they were all mentally in on this is the year. And then somehow it doesn't happen and they're like, oh man, it was ours. We were so close and now they're defeated. And it really takes a lot of doing to get them back to that level again. Well, based on your thinking, what I would argue, Paul, is then I'd be more concerned about the defense. Because if you go back to that NFC Championship well, game against the Well, look what happened to the Giants Eagles, defense two yeah. years ago compared to last no, year. But, but, so that's my point. My I point, mean, that can happen. My point is I would think the defense right now is feeling a lot more defeated than the offense. And that doesn't mean that Case Keenum and the offense played a great game against the Eagles, but... That Vikings defense was beat up more so than I've ever seen since Mike Zimmer took over. Right. But the Vikings have been one of the most consistent units. I think mm -hmm. that's fair, right? Sure. The Eagles made mashed potatoes out of that defense. I mean, they were carving them up down the field. They were carving them up in the short they yard sure situation. You name it. Philadelphia was having a field day. So, if anything, knowing that that core is coming back with the addition of Sheldon Richardson, I would be maybe more concerned about, well, where is the mindset of the Fine. defense? Fine. Much more so than Keenum and Shermer are not there anymore. That's okay. That, I think, is a little bit more relevant. It is a dynamic that needs to be watched because if the Vikings get off to a slow start in the first five or six weeks of the season, or maybe they lose a couple of nail-biters in close games, that's the kind of stuff that starts ripping at you. You know, it starts giving you heartburn or agita, if you will. Uh, and and that that can snowball. That kind of stuff really does impact the team. We talk about this all the time. You know, I know the game's won between the lines, but there's a lot to do with guts, heart, and emotion too. One other team I want to touch on before we open up the dialogue on the phones at 201-939-4513 is Tampa Bay. And they made a mm -hmm. trade with the Giants. JPP is now on Tampa Bay side. So Gill's point was that he loves what they did on defense because they brought in a lot of big bodies and guys in the trenches, which clearly you love. JPP, they drafted Vita Vea with the 12th overall pick. They also signed, people forget, Vinnie Curry from they Philadelphia. Did. And Bo Allen was also brought in. That's four bodies right there. Well, they had to. The defense that they're going to be able to rotate. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I would argue that the secondary, I thought, you know, I had some pieces. Brent Grimes, I think, plays still at a very high level. He actually gave Beckham some trouble in that matchup last year. I know. I don't know how many more years well, they can get out of him. you still need to have insurance. But they said to themselves, we're not just going to add one piece. We're going to add multiple pieces. And we're going to enable Mike Smith to rotate personnel just like Jim Schwartz is doing in right. Philadelphia. Why do you think the Eagles won the Super Bowl? This is not brain surgery, people. It's because he looked at his defensive line, Paul, and he said, I've got seven or eight guys that I can rotate. Fourth quarter, everybody's going to be fresh. What was the one thing we talked about with the Giants? And even Dave Gettleman brought this up during his introductory presser. Sure did. When you have JPP and Vernon playing, what, 95% of the snaps, Paul, when Spags is looking at them in the fourth quarter and he doesn't have confidence in playing the backups, it's hard to rely on those guys to make consistent plays. You're asking for trouble because you're going into the game with only two bullets and a six-shooter. And that's not going to help your odds. Um, so I, I, I absolutely think the Buccaneers certainly made a lot of moves, and they're looking for something now. Let's not kid ourselves. With the guys they signed, even though Winston's still the young quarterback, they're trying to make some moves now. They think they can get it to that mix. Uh, the other team, you, you forgot to mention the Rams, though, at number Rams, four, yeah. and between uh, Peters, Tlaib, 
uh, Sue, I mean, Cooks, they certainly uh, made some heavy moves. Again, a team now that says we know we got a young quarterback, we know we turned over some of this roster the last couple of years, but we want to get there now. So Well, and they had a great season last year. So now, if anything, they got stronger. The Rams fit the bill of that team. It's easy to pick them because they're attractive. All the big, all the names you listed, Paul, I mean, those are household names. Oh, I know. So that's why the Rams are attractive. And, and I'm, I'm not worried about the Rams that they're that team. Well, you know, everybody's overly excited because they added big names. I still think these are legit names. They are and names. They're very well coached yeah. in terms of what Wade Phillips has brought to that defense. See, and I'm not worried about their psyche as much as I am the Vikings. Because with the Vikings, the psyche was all in to host the Super Bowl in our building. I think they were I don't I don't want to speak for the Vikings, but I bet you a bunch of those guys were counting those chickens before they hatched. I really believe that they thought that was destiny in their corner. Well, and then you when can't you get say to that about the Rams game, it becomes close. Yeah, the Rams they ended, though, in disappointment, too. They did, but they were also Atlanta. a team that kind of came out of nowhere. I don't think anybody thought they would go that far. So they were playing with house money. If anything, you want to talk about the psyche of a team, that's a team that could be very dangerous this year. Well, especially knowing that Jared Goff improved in year two and was helped immensely by Sean McVay's offensive philosophy. He's still got guys like Robert Woods around, so you're now adding more talent. And the defense, not only did the defense get stronger, Paul, but here's why I'm very high on what the Rams did. They brought in, if you just want to look at the salary cap implications, just think about this. They brought in Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib via trades, right? Mm -hmm. The two of them are making less money combined than what Tremaine Johnson made last year, who was one of their starting corners that they had given the franchise tag to. Right. They parted ways with him. He's now with the Jets. That, not only is that a home run from a talent perspective, that's a home run from a financial perspective. As long as those guys have their heads on straight, well, there's no reason course. to believe but that even, that won't work out well. Even before you're wondering if they have their heads on straight. <laughs> from a financial, I mean, listen, I thought you'd be doing jumping jacks over this. I mean, this is GM 101. Mm -hmm. If you could get two guys for the price of one, and also one guy who's an established vet and Aqib Tlaib who's still playing at a high level, and another guy, everybody forgets. The way we talk about Marcus Peters, and you know, I even sometimes fool myself, you think that this guy's been in the league for six to seven years. He's still on a rookie contract. Right. He's not that far removed from defensive rookie of the year and is clearly entering the prime of his career, and you're not at the point where you got to open up the piggy bank to pay him. That's the only risk factor here that the Rams are going to incur this season. They brought in two guys who have been known to be head cases. And there are times when a locker room can get affected by head cases, and it can bring a team down. They've taken a risk. They've taken a gamble, understanding that the value compared to performance is overwhelming. This is just a no-brainer to go get these two guys. But they are rolling a little bit of the dice here uh, in terms of uh, Vegas by saying, you know what? We think that those head cases are not going to be a problem. They're not going to deter us. They're not going to make us go backwards. We are just going to use their production to get to the next level. I get it. I understand it. It's worth the gamble. But it could. We have to keep in mind. Well, there's always could a risk about what I would say would soften the concerns a bit. Remember, Talib and Wade Phillips have history together in yes. Denver. So you're talking about you went to the defensive coordinator in all likelihood, Paul, and, and you, you said, Wade, we're thinking about acquiring a Keeb. Are you okay yeah. with that? And he's probably saying to himself, oh, yeah, I worked with Akeem. I'm not too concerned. Peters, I'd agree with that. Peters, the issue was more of some of his antics on the field. I mean, remember when he was here at MetLife Stadium, yeah, but they played the Jets. if you can't get along with Andy Reid, who can you get along with? Well, <laughs> Andy Reid is a teddy bear. He is a players, players, that's, players, players coach. That's a big teddy bear, by the way. Just it is. That. Yes. Don't like his X's and O's in games, especially big games. But in terms of prep during the week and players playing for him, you got to love Andy Reid. All right, so that's a look at some of the teams that, at least on paper, it seems, have improved in the offseason. Giants, very well in the mix. Your reaction to some of the teams we discussed, as well as where you would rank the Giants in terms of most productive offseasons. This is just a paper test. This has nothing to do with necessarily what is going to happen and whether or not it's going to translate to the field. Let's open up the lines. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. As we are about to increase the dialogue on the program, we get the festivities started with Don in Texas. Don, what's happening? 
Hey, how you doing, guys? Long time no talk. Well, glad to All have right. you aboard, Don. What's happening? All right. So, Lance, let me start off with you. You're my guy, man. You're my guy on that show. It's not just because we're both vertically challenged next to those tall guys, all right? You're my <laughs> That's guy. That's a good way to those put it. I appreciate you that. Write, the videos you do, amazing stuff. Keep up the good work. Thank guys. you. Appreciate that. All right. And PDOT, I think the last time I spoke to you, you and I were talking about Najoku versus Forrest Lamp. That's how long it's been. So I'm going to skip that process. It's wow. Like wow. You know what? I think it worked out well that the Giants didn't get either one of them. <laughs> I was going to say just that. That's well said, sir. All right. So basically I'm going to go through a couple things, and then I'm going to take it off the air. I know you guys got a lot of calls. First thing I want to talk about is Dave Gettleman. I'm really excited. I think Giants fans really need to understand that this is a process. The whole draft, off-season, getting coaches, new players, it's a process. Trust the process. I'll be excited if they go 8-8 eight and eight this year. Gettleman's doing the right thing with the offensive line, something that couldn't be done in years. He has gotten rid of the finesse. He's getting a physicality to the line. Can't go wrong with that. Second thing I want to bring up is I, I'm overhearing you guys talk about the most productive off-season. My fellow Giants fans are going to kill me for saying this. I don't think the Giants are, that, are the number one most productive off-season. I'm going to have to go with the Philadelphia Eagles, as much as that pains me to say that. They're the Super Bowl champs. In my yep. opinion, they got a little bit better. A lot to be said by keeping the players you got versus the players you get. That's fair. And, and what they have done in the off-season, to me, they are just scary. To me, they've gotten better. They got the same physicality. A few pieces that they're missing, but to me, the most productive offseason is the Philadelphia Eagles. I hate to say that. Um, I would put Giants probably number five behind the Rams in Chicago, but I don't want to get into the technicalities of that. One more thing I'm going to get into is all the fans who are trying to get on Eli Manning about the whole draft process, should have drafted a quarterback, all that stuff. Let me tell you why that didn't work out the last couple years with Eli Manning. A West Coast offense needs two things. One, you need a quarterback that is mobile. And you need a quarterback who is very accurate. Eli is not really both of those things. With Eli is the offense that this new regime is bringing in, and I want people to understand that you're going to see a whole different Eli. And everybody should just trust the process, and I think everything's going to work out fine. And then I'm going to try calling you guys back before the Houston and Dallas game because I'm going to buy you guys a beer if you can make it down to my section. All right, Don. Right, Appreciate the phone <laughs> call. Good talking with you. Don't be a stranger in the future. I think he brings up a valid point about the Philadelphia Eagles. They weren't on the list of seven. We were reacting more to Gil Brandt's article on NFL.com in case you're just tuning in. But Nigel Bradham retaining him, huge linebacker, big part of that defense. I mean, that was a significant re-signing for them. They added Hololi Nada, veteran defensive lineman, most notably with Baltimore. He's with Detroit. Most recently, they brought back down Nada may be done, by the way. So, you know, but another guy that Jim Schwartz can continue to rotate in. So, you know, Philadelphia, it's easy to dismiss that because you figure, all right, they're bringing back essentially the same team. But I, I think it was worded very well, and I'm paraphrasing the last caller, where sometimes it's what you do to retain and keep your roster that intact much more so than what you add to the team. And I think that was very well said. I agree with that philosophically. Uh, and I don't think there's any question that the Eagles will be a Super Bowl contender again this year. There's, there's no question about that. Be fools not to say that. But we all know in this league, repeating is just a ridiculous thought to have. I mean, outside of the Patriots of the last uh, 15 years, who gets to do that? It just doesn't happen. Well, quick sand to parody. You could have uh, brought that up. I know I took the words right out of your mouth. You but have to I think pay that's me for that. It's trademark. I know. Well, yeah, listen, I owe you a lot of money with how many times <laughs> I've been adopting that rule. But related to also what the last caller brought up in terms of Eli Manning perhaps becoming a different quarterback this season given the new offensive philosophy. I, I think certainly Shermer will try to open things up perhaps down the field like we saw with Kevin Gilbride a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But I also think that you can't dismiss the fact that, remember, Shermer's philosophy does include West Coast principles because he's it from does. the Andy Reid school Absolutely. of thought. So it's not as if the West Coast is just completely being removed he's from the equation. He's much more variable than your typical I, I West Coast, though. Yeah. I mean, we know last year how the Vikings led the league in run percentage. I mean, that's not typical from what these wing-it-around spread offenses of the West Coast like to do. It's more along the lines of the older West Coast offense, which if you remember, Roger Craig ran the ball an awful lot for the 49ers when Bill Walsh was running it. But then they kind of got away from that kind of stuff, and the West Coast offense became to mean, we're just going to fling it. Well... 
Shermer kind of goes back to the older stuff where the run game is a much more important part of it. And look, bottom line, with more weaponry at Eli's disposal, his touchdown to interception ratio is going to be better. His yards per attempt and yards per completion are going to be better because they're going to have a ton more yards after the catch with guys like Beckham on the field for the whole season and Barkley on the field for the whole season. So all you stat people out there, all you analytics people and fantasy football people who have been dumping shovel loads of dirt on Eli Manning, too bad. You're not going to be able to do it this year. Case closed. Well, and the- Eli will have a much better statistical year, and he's going to shut a lot of those people up. Well, and the one other thing that I'll add, 2016, you know, you can certainly look at those numbers, but it's hard for me to put stock in most statistics, not just Reline Manning, but across the board, Paul, from 2017. I mean, with the personnel changing so much, the rate of the injuries, no if doubt. you're using 2017 stats to build a narrative, I mean, that is a convenient narrative because you're not taking into consideration how the dynamics around the quarterback drastically changed. And they were horrible. Yeah. So that would not be the season that I would point to to make the point. You want to turn to 2016, you want to turn to some previous seasons, that's fine. I, I think there's a little bit more substance beyond those numbers. I would not run to 2017 and say, oh, well, you know, the passing numbers, look at what happened. I mean, once again, how many games last season did Eli Manning have the same receiving core? Meaning the same one, two, three receivers, Paul, every single game. How many times did that necessarily happen? How about this? How about we just go to his two games against Philly, which we've heard Dave Gettleman refer to several times. And in those two games, he threw for a combined 800 yards and six touchdowns and only three picks. And, oh, let's not forget, he didn't exactly have a stellar running game to go with that. Yeah. (laughs) You know? I mean, so Philly knew what was coming. And Eli still sliced them up like a Thanksgiving turkey. Now, people I know counter to that by saying, well, Eli Manning's got a very good track record against Philadelphia, so that's nothing new. And they don't usually have great secondaries. Their strength is more in the front seven. So if you can at least get rid of the football quickly, you have a way to get to Philadelphia. I'm just throwing that out as I know what I've been hearing when people counter with, well, you know, the Eagles, look at what Eli Manning did against what? turned out to be one of the great defenses in the NFL last season, and then they'll say, well, you know, he normally has good numbers against Philadelphia. So, I mean, you're going to hear it both ways, no matter how you sell it. <laughs> what is normal? Normal means you have your average personnel on the field. Eli didn't have his average personnel on the field. He was handicapped with subpar yeah. personnel and did what he did. There's no argument there. It's it's a one-sided argument. I'm with you. That's why, once again, 2017, it's hard for that to be the starting point for a conversation. All right, let's head back to the lines. Steve is in New York. Steve, what's happening? Hey, Lance. Hey, Paul. Hi. How are we doing, Steve? I'm doing great. Uh, you know, Paul, I love listening to you sometimes, Paul. You come out with the craziest sayings, I swear. Like <laughs> like two bullets uh, in a six-barrel. Yeah, that was you know, a new one. The stuff yeah. you say sometimes. <laughs> hey, man, you know what? Because if we don't have fun with what we're doing, it, it, it's just not going to be worth it for, for you guys to listen or you guys to watch or for us to be here doing it. we got to make each other laugh. we got to have some <laughs> smiles about this. Because you know what? It's not rocket science. Yes. It's not brain surgery. Okay, it is pro football. We gotta have some fun. It's sports entertainment but thank at the you. end of the day. But we, <laughs> but, but we, we have not Absolutely. gotten. Here, here's the one thing, Steve. We have not gotten the pasta and the meatballs yet. So no. maybe the good stuff's coming later on in the show. Sports entertainment. Oh yeah, Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh yeah. Bring a little wrestling into the <laughs> equation here. All right. So, so what do you got for us, Steve? Before this conversation really goes off the rails. <laughs> All right, so I want to make a prediction, right? And this kind of might be a crazy prediction, but I want to say it, and then I want to talk about the defense real quick. My my prediction is after analyzing the quarterbacks that came out of the draft, and there's only like really four of them that were considered good, and I don't even know if they were, you know, Peyton Manning, Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, good. You know, when you when you have right. those classes of quarterbacks, and I feel like you got two of them went to Cleveland and the Jets, so they're out of the equation already. 
So just forget those guys ever existed. And the other two, you know, they might have a chance, right? So I'm thinking this is my prediction. Now, this class will actually almost be more remembered for the running backs that came out of it than the quarterbacks that Could came out of it. Could easily be by the time prediction. they're done. Yeah, you make a great point. I mean, how many times did we sit here before the draft? John especially, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, and he kept saying – Look at all these backs that are going to be in the second round, maybe even the third round. So many of these backs are probably just a shade below Barkley anyway. And John argued that the Giants should get a running back later as opposed to the number two pick. And I understood the argument because, look, Geis and Penny and Michelle, I mean, these guys are all really good prospects. So you may be right, especially if the league is starting to, as I believe it has now over the last couple of years, to understand that you do have to have some semblance of a power running game if you're going to enhance your chances of being a postseason team. Well, here's the thing that is similar in both regards. You got volume in this year's draft class at both positions. You know, it's not like we're talking about two quarterbacks and 17 running backs. We're talking about a number of quarterbacks that went in the first round. So five. you're going to have a volume to really examine over the next four to five years before we jump to the conclusion of who is going to win this battle. But I think that there is substance at the running back position, and depending on how these teams play out and how their offensive lines hold up, this could go down as a very unique and special running back. Uh, you know, as it turned out, most of those guys, if not all of them who we thought were in the upper echelon of the running backs, wound up all going by the time round two was complete. There as was it a turned run out, on those running backs. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, those guys did not leak into the third round as a lot of people thought they would. Yeah, they got scoffed up real quick. Yep. And that's for a reason, because, you know, you look at Chubb. I mean, Chubb's, Chubb's has a skill set that's amazing. I can't wait to watch Absolutely. that Absolutely. Solid and, prospect. You know, you got, and, uh, you know, it's just a lot of guys like that. And when I'm looking at our defense, I, I'm looking at James Fetcher, and I just I feel like the scheme that he runs and his, his concepts that he wants to institute into the game – the way he did in Arizona, he kind of takes guys and, and kind of like what Spags did when he first got here. He, he took guys that were really good and made them better. And I think that's why I have hope for mm-hmm. our defense because I know we lack depth in the secondary, but our backers are quicker. They're stronger. We have side-to-side, sideline-to-sideline kind of backers now. We haven't had that in a long time. We have a captain in the middle of the defense in our linebacker, which is in Ogletree, which is awesome. We haven't had that since Antonio Pierce, like like uh, Gil said. And our defensive line, I feel, is a little stronger. And I just, I'm old school. I believe defense wins championships. And I, I if you put our offense and our defense together, I think we get a ten and five season. And I have a saying. I'll let, I'll go with this. I have a saying that I came up with. Can 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 we win the Super Bowl with? James Betcher's defense, bet your ass we can. All right, Steve. <laughs> Appreciate the vocal. Thank you. The puns continue to roll off the tongues of hosts and listeners on this program. Well, 10-5 and five means that you're going to have to have consistency on both sides of the football. You're going to have to have good health. You're going to have to have good health. That goes to me without saying. But you're going to have to have consistency against also a very tough schedule as well. Now, a number of teams that made the playoffs last year, the Giants are going to see, including the first team, which had one of the best defenses in the NFL in the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, it's interesting that the last caller said that, you know, he's intrigued by the scheme for James Betcher because when John and I were on yesterday, Paul, you know, everybody to me is enamored with the offense a lot. You know, Beckham coming back, hopefully healthy. Sterling Shepard coming back, hopefully healthy. Evan Ingram year two, the arrival of Barkley, an improved offensive line. And, and I think the defense, though, is still very much a wild card. There's a number of players that were lost between JPP and DRC who, you know, whether or not the defense performed admirably last season, you got the guy who led the team in sacks on one side with JPP, and DRC two years ago was one of their most opportunistic players, and those are two polished veterans. So, you know, where's the pass rush coming from? The depth at corner. I see a lot of more question marks on defense right now. You know, I know that uh, Bill Polian always subscribes to the theory that you don't really know what your team is, especially after there have been a lot of changes until the first month of the season is complete. That's four games. Now, think about it. 16 games, that's one 
forth of your schedule. Okay? To me, Jacksonville, Dallas, Houston, New Orleans. The Giants, with all the turnover that they've had, especially with the coaching staff, not just the players, but the coaching staff and the scheme and the mentality and the philosophy that they're going to have to learn and put on into practice on the field. It seems to me the Giants have to go 2-2 two and two through those first four. If they can just hold their water and be 2-2 two and two after four, they will start to figure out who they are as a football team the beginning of October and then let the chips fall to where they may. It'll be a 12-game season. And let's see how the Giants do in those 12 games once they get their sea legs under them. But I don't think we're really going to know much about what this team is until they get past that first month of the season. And it's a tough haul. Those are not easy games, okay? But if they can get through them at 2-2, two and two, I think they set themselves up for a nice uh, respite. You know, kind of like when you're climbing the stairs and you get to a landing and you take a breath. That would be a really nice landing for them as they go forward for the final 12 games of the schedule. It's interesting you brought up needing maybe the first month to get your legs underneath you, build your identity. You have to. Because it reminds me of 2016. And 2016, Paul, the defense changed immensely. You're talking about a number of big names that were brought in, the Vernons, the Harrisons, the Jenkins of the world. And, you know, they got those first two wins in 2016. And then what happened? Lost to Washington, lost to Minnesota, lost to Green Bay. I mean, that was that Sunday to Monday turnaround. But then all of a sudden, building into the bye, the win against Baltimore, then the win in London against the Rams, and then coming out of the bye. It all came together. The floodgates opened up. A lot of close games. I'm not saying it was a dominant performance, but the defense specifically. They found themselves. Yeah. So you can maybe use that as a timeline of what perhaps the Giants are looking at here in 2018 with some new faces. And we already know that this staff, Betcher and I believe even Shula said, we don't know 100% what we are yet. And we're not going to know until we get to training camp, we get these guys in games, then you've got a bunch of guys, almost half of the guys get cut anyway because you've got to get down from 90 to 53. So even then you don't know what you have week one of the season. All right? And they're going to have some really nasty tests in September. I mean, these are games that are really going to make you grit your teeth and say, okay, where do we stand? What do we have? And how can we kind of figure our way through this thing so that we get our sea legs by the time October starts? You hate to be 1-3 or 0-4, then figure it all out and say, well, now we got to climb uphill because we're already in a hole. Just get the two and two after four games, and you give yourself a chance. Give yourself more flexibility to get a feel for one another. Let's head back to the lines. Jason is in Maine. Jason, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening? Hey, how you doing? Doing all right, Jason. Hi. What do you got for us? Uh, just a couple of things. I'm wondering about both backup quarterbacks, Colin Davis. Um, with the personnel that the Giants have or what, who you think they'll have this year, uh, do you think that it fits better one over the other? I mean, I'm I'm not fully sure of either one's skill set or how mobile each one of them are, but do you, do you think one has maybe more of a – would have more of an easier time with the personnel? Who do you think would probably fit it best at this point? Well, from a mobility standpoint, I personally think Loletta is more mobile than Davis Webb. Now, that doesn't mean that Webb is a statue. It's just based on what Loletta did in college. I mean, Loletta was running and escaping tackles and running through running backs. I mean, not that they want him to do that in the NFL, but I think Loletta showcased his mobility a lot more than Webb did during the course of their collegiate careers. Yeah. If you if you wanted to order the Giants in terms of mobility, it would be Loletta, Webb, Manning. Without a doubt. Arm strength, it would be Webb, Manning, Loletta. I mean, you know, if you just want to look at their tools and just grade them on, on that scale. See, it's unfair to even talk about this because Webb's already had a year in the league, and so obviously he's going to be a better fit, even though Shermer's bringing in a new offense. He's going to be more advanced than anything Loletta could do. But if you're strictly talking about the skill set of this offensive unit, I, I tend to think because the offensive line's going to be better, and you won't necessarily need as much scrambling as you might have needed the last couple of years when Eli couldn't run, that you know the Loletta advantage that he has in the mobility box 
isn't as important when your offensive line is better. Well, and also when you have guys like Barkley and Beckham who you can dump off to and then they can make plays after the catch. You know, arm strength to me is not necessarily the number one thing that I'm looking at in the quarterbacks. But, you know, Jason, what I think makes your question difficult to answer at this point. It is hard to answer. It's a a tough one. But what makes it even more extremely challenging to answer is the number one factor to determine which quarterback is the best fit, who's the backup, is decision-making. Yes. Okay? And we don't know enough at this point, Paul, to determine who has an edge between Davis Webb and Kyle Oletta when it comes to decision-making. Well, I think he's talking strictly skill set, though. Which no. guy fits the offense better with what they can right. do? Well, and, and I would say this, because Webb has the stronger arm, can zip the medium-range ball with much more velocity, and because he also has the ability to hit the big long one, too, it's going to be very hard for me not to pick Davis Webb, especially since you know I'm president of the Davis Webb fan club well, unofficially. I love the guy. <laughs> I thought you were going to start so, with that. So, point, so I'm not. Yeah. I'm not going to pick against Davis anyway. But that's not to say Loletta, you know, can't function in this offense because I'm sure that Shermer uh, has thoughts in mind for if he needed to go to him, what would succeed. Now, in yeah. fairness, can, can one of us make a case for Alex Tanny, or is he not allowed in the conversation? Are we, are we dismissing him, Go Jason? Go right ahead. Do, do you not even want to consider? I, I mean, I'm not trying to make a joke. There is another quarterback on the roster. At the moment, there yes, is. Yes, there is. Okay. But anyway, go go ahead, Jason. <laughs> yes. Okay. Thanks. No, that's what I was kind of looking for uh, in your answer. That was great. Uh, just one last thing. Just in your guys' opinion, you look at the roster now. I know there's a lot of time between now and the beginning of the season. Uh, but is there one position that concerns you right now, and why is it a concern for you? And I'll just get off the air with that. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the phone call, Jason. Thanks for weighing in. There's more than one, isn't there, Lance? Well, I think you can make a case for a few, but do you have one to answer his question that would top the list right now? I think anybody who goes through the Giants roster right now has to start with right tackle because you just don't know how that will settle itself out. Is Eric Flowers going to be the guy week one? If not him, who is that guy on the roster? Don't know. Don't know. Think it's going to be Flowers. If not Flowers, think it's going to be Chad Wheeler. Don't know. No, that's there's, there's to a me. question mark there. I, I mean, mean, Adam Bisnavati was waived, so he's no longer in the mix, and the Lions wound up claiming him. So it's not as if the Giants have an opportunity to grab him back. I would put corner to me at the top of the list. Now, you look at the roster, unlike right tackle. See, that to me is number two, but I'm with you. Unlike right tackle, there are many more options at there the quarterback are. position. There because are. your concern is there's not a lot of volume right now. But, by the way, I cheated William Gay the other day. I said he was 37. He's only 33. Well, Seems like he's 37. You, say, audacity, you, yes. It would appear he's been around forever. Well, and he's also <laughs> up there with Eli Manning in terms of durability, by the way. He yes. has not missed a game. So not only is his age important to note, it's the fact that the age may not even be that important of a factor because of how well he's preserved his body and stayed yes. on the field. Knock on wood, of course. But the reason why corner is a concern, and, and I'm even factoring William Gay in the conversation because I think he's the front runner by a mile for that third cornerback Agreed. spot. Uh, Agreed. I, I mean, there's competition here, but Gay has far more experience than anybody else that you want to have a discussion. But when I evaluate a position, knowing some of the injuries that the Giants have had to deal with in previous seasons, depth to me is important. And right now, I look at, okay, you want to pencil in Jenkins and Apple, and you even want to pencil in Gay. I'll give you that. Question mark still connected to Apple because he's due for a bounce back season. And, you know, Jenkins is coming back from an injury. So there's question marks even connected to your two starting corners. Sure. Regardless of their previous resumes. But, you know, once again, I I keep going back to that 2016 playoff game when DRC goes down, Paul. And Aaron Rodgers surveys the field and says, I'm now going to go where DRC was. Who's your third? Who's your fourth corner? Who's your fifth corner? Who's your sixth corner? Right now, I see a lot of question marks. So that, to me, tops the list. Because here's why offensive line I wouldn't put at the top of the list. And I think you made a fine case. I like the depth on the offensive line right now on paper much more so than what the corners provide. Not a tackle. At center and guard, well, well, I, I agree. I'm encompassing at the tackle? entire— No, but but I'm looking, no. At, I'm looking at the versatility of who may be on the backup None side. None of these guards and centers can play tackle. Wheeler, though, has some experience from last year. And Flowers also has experience from last year. Whether or not he's moving to a different position, the point is you've got guys that have been on the field that have some experience. When you look at this cornerback group, 
you've got a, a mix. You've got young guys. You've got some guys that were special teamers that haven't really been every down corners. It's a little bit of everything. I'll let you. I think put it's the food a very. There. Yeah. It's a. It's a very fair point. And when you consider. And, folks, I even have to look at the roster to go over the depth chart at cornerback because these guys are not household names. You're looking at guys like B.W. Webb, Teddy Williams, Jeremiah McKinnon, Chris Lewis-Harris, Orion Stewart, Mike Jones. Uh, I mean, no disrespect intended to any of these folks, but do they have a proven track record of winning football games in the National Football League? So I, I hear you. I really do. Again, I like Dante Dion as the backup slot guy I get it. to William Gay. But beyond that, who's the fifth corner? Or who is the third corner on the boundary? Yeah. I have no idea. None. So cornerback so, to me is the biggest concern, if you want to word it that way, based on the caller's question. All right, let's head back to the lines. Doug is in Rochester. Doug, what's happening? Hey, what's going on? Doing all right, Doug. What's happening Hi. with you? Hey, what do you got, uh, Paul and Lance. Lance, I haven't talked to you. I talked to John and Paul and Paul and Jeff. Um, you've been talking about the Giants' defense. Um, um, the Carter, you, um, you talk about OV's going to the only pass rusher, but um, I want to know what you think about Carter as a pass rusher. Is he going to be a three-down guy? Or you consider him a pass rusher, you know? Um, because you guys are talking, uh, and then the slot backs, you know, I think John's got more time to see what they're going to do about that. That's real important, too. So They do. They're going to have the entire period of training camp where they're going to get these guys in the pads, and they're going to see their physicality. I think you can evaluate a lot more than you can with upcoming OTAs. As far as your point about pass rushing, I'll throw out not just Lorenzo Carter, who I think has potential upside. I mean, Kareem Martin who they brought yeah. in from Arizona, who worked with James Bedger. Martin, remember, is a player that, you know, has experience at defensive end, also has experience at linebacker because he was converted early in his career. So, you know, yeah. he has the ability, I, I think, to help fill the void left behind by a JPP. But like anything else, until we see it within the giant scheme, I just can't say that you're going to crown a player and say, hey, you take away JPP's eight sacks, which was the leader yeah. of the team, and then I'm immediately putting this guy in, and I know I'm getting eight right off the bat. You know what may be interesting, and I don't mean this to ally any of your fears, but it may help you a little bit. Chandler Jones last year had 17 sacks for the, for the Cardinals. Led the NFL, by right? the way. Led yeah. the NFL. His pressure percentage at 13-plus percent was amongst the NFL leaders. Okay? Now... Betcher used him primarily as a pass rusher. Very rarely, even though he was standing up a lot of times, he didn't do much in coverage. He was usually going forward. Well, think about this now. The Giants have Olivier Vernon in the Chandler Jones spot in this defense. He is going to be going forward, I would say, almost all the time. I don't think he's going to be worried too much about going backwards, and I don't think he's going to be playing the run as much as he did before. Why? Because they got Alec Ogletree. Ogletree is a side-to-side chase-and-hit or run-and-hit linebacker. Has tremendous range getting to the sidelines, which means Vernon can be more in pass rush mode than he has yeah. been in the past because we know him to be a very good run stopper off the edge. Now yeah, he can probably yeah. concentrate more right. on getting after the quarterback knowing that Ogletree has the range to get to that sideline and help seal off those runs. Vernon can say, you know what? I'm going for that QB. Ogletree's got my back. I'm getting the sack. I think that's yeah. going to help Vernon's sack total. Well, and if B.J. Goodson stays yeah. healthy, that's another insurance no question. policy, too. Yeah. I mean, remember, he so, was a monster in week one last year. I'm going to say Vernon has 12 or 13 this year. I think he's going to break right. break double yeah. digits. Yeah. Which he's only done once in his career. Happier. I think he's a lot happier, too, standing up, rushing the passer than his hand in the dirt. I think he's going to be his talents more rushing the passer standing up. I think that's where all his talents at. And, uh, Paul, I want to touch on something. You said the Giants 2-2 um, two and two the first four games. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about their opponents. Now, Jacksonville, since I'm up in Rochester, Buffalo in that playoff game against Jacksonville, all they had to do was score a touchdown. They'd be able to win that game. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure Jacksonville didn't score too many passing touchdowns last year, even though they went from a 3-13 and 13 to the AFC Championship. Right. Their defense was, did a lot, and they, were, they didn't have too much passing. And um, 
you know, the Giants um, with all these weapons, um, uh, beat them, they don't have to score too much. And Dallas, um, you know, Eli, you see like the Giants play Dallas Sunday night for the last five years. It's been on Sunday night. So, and then Houston, I mean, Houston, I mean, I think they can get past Houston, but the Saints is a team that's coming to the Meadowlands, and that's an all-around team right there. And that's the team they're going to have to play the hearts out against, the Saints. So I really think that they're going to have to dig deep and play the hearts out because if you remember the Saints uh, missed tackle. They they have been playing the Eagles instead of the Vikings. Yeah. Who's to say the Vi- Who's to say the Eagles would have beat the Saints? You know, who's to say that? So you are know? you saying the Giants yeah. are going to go three and one in the first four games? Is that your yeah, thoughts? I, I, don't, I don't say. I, don't, I I think they can actually go four and zero. Only team I see <laughs> that. Is going to get them trouble is the Saints coming there on the, on the fourth I'm, week. I'm I mean, not like saying Jackson's going to score too many points last okay, year. Okay, okay, but here, here's the point. I'm not telling you they're going to go two and two. What I'm saying to you is the blueprint needs to be hey, get through those first four games minimum of two and two. It'd be great if they're three and one or four and zero. Oh, but I think yeah. you'd really you'd really be gritting your teeth. If if you don't at least go two and two, because then you put yourself in a much better position as you find out what your team's all about. I mean, if you can yeah. start from sea level the first weekend of October, now you can maybe do some business. You don't want to be digging out of a huge hole and then say, well, now we know how good we are. And over the last 12 games, we were really good. But guess what? We started 0-4, and that's why we're not going to the playoffs. Boy, that's a miserable feeling. Yeah, um, I'm gonna leave you with this question. I heard that Eric Flowers is in the building Monday. Is that true? Is he? Yeah, I see. I read a few reports. He was there Monday. Is that true? I'll leave you with that question. All right. Thanks for the call. All right, Doug. Appreciate the All phone right. call. Well, remember the Giants don't say anything publicly about who's here and who's not. Even Pat Shermer joked when the media asked yeah. him. He goes, "Listen, I'll allow the media to." Uh, put together the laundry list of of who's here and who's not in terms of taking attendance. There's been a lot of confidence expressed by Coach Shermer that Eric Flowers will be here at an appropriate time and we will be able to talk to him and find out what he's thinking and that they're going to be able to move forward. And the OTAs begin on Monday. Uh, In middle of June is the mandatory minicamp. Then, of course, at the end of July, you have training camp starting. So I don't know what day you want to pick there, but those seem like significant dates that if you were to expect a player to be here for, he would be here for at least one, two, or maybe all three of those things. And I think that Shermer's confidence and the way he has talked about Flowers would give you a pretty good idea that uh, they're planning on, on him to be around. Well, and the other thing that Shermer has said on multiple occasions is he's been in communication with exactly. Flowers. It's not as if you know Flowers is on an island and the Giants don't know where he's at. They've been in communication with him. They've had dialogue, and we'll see what happens moving forward with the offseason program. The key will be once he's here is his head in the game to where when they say you're lining up at right tackle – are you going to produce? Are you going to give enough production to make that a viable position for you? If his mind isn't in it, then it doesn't matter if he's here or not. Because if the guy doesn't go out there and produce and shows that he does not deserve the position, well, now you've got to find an alternative. You have to have the desire. You can't just go through the motions. So even if he's here, that's not an automatic, great, he's here, it's going to be fine. And, and you guys know, I'm not nearly as down on Eric Flowers as most people are. But he also needs to prove on the field that he belongs on the field because the best five are going to play. And if Chad Wheeler is one of the best five, then Chad Wheeler is going to be the right tackle. One other thing I wanted to touch on before we head back to the phone lines. The last caller brought up Jacksonville, the Giants opening opponent saying that, well, the passing game wasn't electric last season, and that's fair. They only had 21 passing touchdowns, which put them 20th in the league. But, you know, Jacksonville still managed to score 26 points per game, which was top five in the National Football League. Their defense was extremely opportunistic. Now, the defense did score a few touchdowns. They had a really good running game, a good offensive line. So just because you don't have a great passing game does not mean that you're not a dangerous team. And here's the thing. You go back to that playoff game against Buffalo, Paul. If your defense is great and your defense is holding the opposition to 7 to 10 points, that's taking pressure off your offense anyway. No doubt. You know, nobody's telling you now you got to go out and score 24 points. So I wouldn't read too much into the fact that 
Blake Bortles and company weren't throwing for 400 yards a game. You also have to uh, take into the equation the turnover factor, which good defenses usually get some of those. And then there's the special teams factor. And we all know how Tom Coughlin, everywhere he goes, he wants his teams to control field position. And I think both of those facets were brought to the forefront in a positive way by the Jacksonville Jaguars last season. Let's head back to the lines. Lawrence is in Florida. Lawrence, what's happening? Hi, thanks for having me. Hi. Thanks for making the call. I just, I just want to let you know that I don't have uh, my two favorite shows that I never miss is this show and Jeopardy. That's why I want you to know you're right up there with Jeopardy. Wow. Uh, well, that, that's truthfully an honor. Uh, hopefully we uh, provide a little bit more Giants content than Jeopardy does, but uh, we will certainly take that. Big blue for $500. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, um, besides all that, I remember you talking, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, about who you thought the breakout player of the year may be on the Giants this year. I think, you know, who might sneak in there that no one really talks about is Avery Moss. That's a good point. That's an intriguing candidate. He could be a very important facet of the better defense, given the fact that he's got some tools, he's got some length and size and strength, and we know from his uh, time in college uh, he could rush the passer. So there is a there is definitely a chance that Avery Moss. I, I'm not sure exactly how he's going to fit yet because Betcher's going to have to figure it out. But he could be a guy who gets after the quarterback. And now that I look at it, Avery Moss only played 23% of the defensive snaps last yeah. season. So uh, I think that's fair, Lawrence. You figure if obviously his snaps go up and he's a better fit for this scheme, he has the potential to carve out a significant sure. role. I, I would not dismiss that name. I think that's The guy a has good tools, yeah. there's no doubt. Plus also, they were talking to Jeff Fiegels about uh, the punters earlier in the week, how they're, they're mostly worried about the, how uh, their statistics more than kicking them out of bounds and all that stuff. But the longest punt I ever saw, I know Paul will remember this, is the one against, uh, was kicked by a quarterback. Randall, Randall Cunningham. Cunningham. Yeah, I saw it. I was there. I was in the building. Me, me too, and I couldn't believe it. Ridiculous. And, like, and there was, they had the, the uh, Eagles down by the five-yard line. He quick kicks it. Went about 95 yards, and then Simmons went back to pass, fumbled, and they got a touchdown. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, he was uh, he was in the east end zone of Giant Stadium, the old Meadowlands. It was a 91-yard punt. I remember I'm it well. It up right now here. It's on yeah, YouTube. I remember that one. Yeah. But anyway, Ridiculous. they don't do those quick kicks anymore. Sometimes I think they should pull some of the stuff that's so old is new again and sneak it in there. No, well, he was he was lined up in punt formation. It wasn't like he just suddenly dropped back and quick kicked it. I mean, they showed from the formation what he was going to do. And, you know, Cunningham was a freak of an athlete, let me tell you. I, I had so much respect for his skill set. It's ridiculous. Yeah, he was. Uh, those Eagles always been a thorn in my side going back to that buddy Ryan. Sure. Just, I was talking to an Eagle fan the other day, and they've just been a thorn in my side. <laughs> Understood. <laughs> well, they're probably even more of a thorn in your side based on what happened in 2017. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I mean. I was the only one I went to the Super Bowl party. I was the only one rooting for the uh, Patriots because I don't. The only team that I uh, wanted the Eagles to beat would be the Cowboys. That's another, uh, I won't even get into that with Jerry's world. I just stood. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, all right, well, I'll let you go. I just want to, uh, all right, Lawrence. you know. Well, we don't, we don't want we don't want to keep you. you we don't want to keep you from watching Jeopardy on the DVR, Lawrence. So so we'll let you go on that note. But we do appreciate <laughs> at least us being in that same conversation. I I just looked at, at that Randall Cunningham punt. My goodness! Did, also, the bounce he got. Oh yes. after that. Yes. Wow. That was a big part of it. But it still went for ninety plus yards. Yeah. No matter how you cut it, it was ninety plus yards. Well, there's those type of athletes that you pr pretty much could put in just about any situation, and they'll thrive. And, you know, Odell Beckham is one of those guys that comes to mind. You need him to punt, he'll go out there. You need him to kick a field goal, he'll go out there. Because they have that unbelievable mm -hmm. athleticism. And Cunningham was certainly an extremely unique guy. You know, and I know at the end of his career he got hurt, and then he came back with the Vikings, and, and, you know, he never actually got himself a Super Bowl ring. But I'll be honest with you, in terms of the toolbox, the skill set, Randall Cunningham was about as dynamic an athlete to ever play the quarterback position, in my mind. And it's funny because he was so much ahead of his time. Nowadays, 
they have much more respect for those kinds of guys. In those days, he was looked at almost as like, oh, he's just like a knockoff. You know, he's something, he's like weird. He's an oddball. He's, he's the exception to the rule. I mean, there were people who didn't even think he should be playing in the league. Remember, Jaworski was there, and then they gradually yep. graduated to Cunningham. His skill set was incredible. Well, in today's NFL, though, it's not unique. No. Because think about all the guys that have followed him. He was him. ahead of his time. Yeah, but now if he was in the league, he'd fit right oh, in. Oh, my goodness. He might be the highest-paid quarterback in the game. Yeah, because you think about after Cunningham, when Michael Vick came into the league, you heard Randall Cunningham's name brought up, and then RG3. And then you, you heard the Cunningham and the Michael Vick comparisons. Mm-hmm. It's like anything else. But today you have so many quarterbacks. Hey, that have I'm a mobility. pocket quarterback anyway, so... You know, I, I don't particularly like those kinds of guys, but I have great respect for what Cunningham's ability was because he was just that incredible. Let's head back to the lines. Dave is in Cranford. Dave, what's happening? How are you guys? Don't don't ask Carl Banks about Randall Cunningham. I'm I'm sick of seeing that play. Yeah, you know, I know. Uh, I know. Carl Carl Banks play, but hey, I, I just wanted to jump in on on two things for you guys, Lance. I, I agree when you started out with the uh, comments about the most improved rosters and all that, and and gave a lot of credit to Gettleman and Shermer. I think what's what's lost sometimes looking at this season is the fact that we needed a new set of eyes that weren't biased to the roster. And I, I think what you heard early on, if you remember, when they asked Gettleman right away about Eli, of course, you, you'll, you'll know right then that he didn't say um, – he, he basically said, if you remember the quote, you guys probably do, I'm sure Paul does, where he said, hey – I know I watched him play the Eagles, and I'm going to go back and watch the tape, and I'll get back to you on that answer. And, and I thought that was the right answer and a pretty bold answer mm-hmm. to say, hey, we're going to go and analyze this roster. And I, and I think the biggest thing that they looked at was, hey, the offensive line needed a complete overhaul. They've done that. And I think going into the season, as much as the right tackle is a, is a question, and I think that the – Swing tackle is very well probably not on the roster right now. Um, but it's a heck of a lot easier going into the season from an offensive game planning standpoint to think about shoring up one side of the line as opposed to last year where you could argue yeah. you almost had to, you know, you, you needed 10 guys, but you at least needed two tight ends, one on one side, one on the other. But think that the right tackle, if, if, if we can get the left tackle and the, and the other parts of the line solidified, plus a running back, I think that's where the, the confidence goes into this. And the, the only other comment I'd make for you guys is, Lance, to your point about the issues with cornerback. I, I think the team agrees with you when you see the amount of bodies that oh, they yeah. brought into the position. Mm-hmm. Well, clearly they're thinking the more volume they have, the more likely they are to find some stability or some options. I, I think that's extremely clear. But, you know, volume alone doesn't necessarily always guarantee no. that somebody's going to rise to the top. I made the point on the show the other day that nobody thought Ross Cockrell was really going to be an answer for these guys. And then last year he was forced into starting duty, and I thought he had a good season. Now, he got yep. a real nice contract to jump to Carolina, and, and, he, and he's going to the bank with that. And that's great for him, but I don't want to disrespect the fact that he outplayed what I think everybody thought he was going to do. Well, keep in mind, remember, Ross Cockrell was acquired right before the start of the season. He wasn't even here during training camp. Because the Steelers had Gay and Cockrell, and Gay beat out Cockrell, and Cockrell was going to get caught. And they didn't want to lose him for nothing. So they traded him to the Giants, and Gay was able to retain the roster spot, and now Gay is a Giant. Well, but here's the other <laughs> thing. But Cockrell also, regardless of what you thought he did before he came to the Giants, that was a corner with veteran experience and starting experience. Yeah. This wasn't somebody that you know was brought in that hadn't played in two years. No, but I don't think anybody like really gave him much of a thought. No, I, the I, I think they looked the deal, at him. They were like, ah, oh, whatever. No, but looked at him as, okay, here's added depth in case somebody he goes down. He was one of the better somebody. defensive players by the end of the season. Yeah, but... I, but I, I agree, but I, I would just add, guys, I, the biggest issue to me is that your observation of where there's weakness, that the GM and the, and the coaching staff agree with you. And I just would rewind and say, sitting here last year, you know, it did not take a football expert to say that the Giants' weakness was the offensive line. And there wasn't an agreement that from the from the organization, and obviously that was wrong. And we saw what happened when that sure. played out. So I think that's a huge difference. And as a fan, it gives me a lot more confidence. There's a lot of things that have to go right. We got to stay healthy. 
But I think there's a lot of good reason of why this team's going to be a lot more competitive than people think. Before you go, simply put, Gettleman is a guy who believes in the trenches. Football 101. And what has he done? Changed the offensive line and brought in a bunch of defensive guys, specifically in the front seven and the defensive line, to try to rebuild this team. How could you ask for anything other than that? Couldn't agree more. Thank you. And that's exactly Thanks, what he followed. Appreciate the phone call, Dave. Thanks so much for weighing in. Exactly the script he followed in Carolina. He is pretty much brought to the Giants. This is mm-hmm. not Dave Gettleman arriving to the Giants and steering clear of how he built the team in Carolina. He built the team in Carolina with the offensive line and the defensive line. And it was a combination of, which we were talking about all offseason, Paul, the draft as well as free agency. You can't just do it one way. No. You're not going to rebuild it by drafting all offensive linemen and all defensive linemen. You're going to find the combination. And that's what he's done so far. Now, with respect to the cornerback position, just before we sign off here, when he parted ways with Josh Norman and they decided to rescind the franchise Mm -hmm. tag, they had brought in a lot of young guys and and they hoped to develop the corners. And, you know, Mm -hmm. Carolina had a rough season because of injuries. Luke Keekly got hurt. It wasn't just the secondary. So, you know, maybe that is their philosophy, that Mm -hmm. behind some of the vets, they want to develop some of these young guys that haven't had a lot of experience, and hopefully they can build up the depth that way. Time will tell, but, you know, until they put pads on, right now, as I mentioned, you just got a lot of names and a lot of volume at this point. A lot of guesswork in terms of who's going to step up. And for their sake, I hope somebody does. I will say this. You've seen it before. Sometimes scheme does make a difference. It did with Cockrell. Cockrell was playing a lot more zone in Pittsburgh. He got to the Giants. They played a lot more press man. And he'd be the first one to tell you. It made all the difference in the world. All of a sudden, he was in a scheme now that fit his skill set better. And he was able to put more production out on the field. Well, maybe some of these guys on the back end of the Giants' depth chart, maybe they know in their heads that the way that they plan to use that player is going to bring out something that other people haven't seen. Playing to their strengths as opposed to just trying maybe. to fit them into a scheme. Maybe. We'll see. Like I said, until they get on the field, it's hard to know at this point. That is going to wrap up today's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. Thanks to those who called in. We'll be back up and running on Monday. There will be OTA on Monday, and there will also be media sessions, so we'll get you caught up with all of that starting at noon Eastern. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your weekend right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.